Hey, come on. Woo! <laughs> Way to go. In, in pastor world, there's a big joke, you know, about the last Sunday of the year. It's, it's the lowest attended usually. And you're here. You know what the, how many gold stars you get? Like in your crown? Way to go. And those of you joining us by live stream, you're tuning in. Way to go. Well, thank you for welcoming us into your home here. Uh, this is the best way to, to finish out this year. Amen. We're finishing strong. Amen. That's right. That's right. Today we are, we are um, we're celebrating. We're celebrating Jesus. We celebrate Jesus every week. Uh, but I, I entered this day, this weekend, just with an especially thankful heart that he is faithful. God is faithful. He's seen us through. We've seen a whole lot of trials and troubles this year. Some people, lots of them. Some people, it's not been so bad. But I'm telling you what, uh, if, if your 2020 has been as gut-wrenching as mine, you are happy and thankful to hear, to see the end of it here. So praise God for that. Amen. I believe good things. He's got good stuff in store for us next year. And uh, we're, we're just going to keep celebrating Jesus. We're going to try to keep being more like Jesus, helping each other be more like Jesus in the new year. And uh, if you're here today, and this is, one of you, is this your first time to be with us at Generations, uh, we thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you come back and see us as often as you possibly can. Or if you're tuning in for the first time with us today, thank you so much. Just sit back, relax, enjoy the presence of God. He's got something to say to us today, and uh, I believe it. I believe he's got something important to say. You know, no Sunday, no Sunday is a mail-it-in, throw-away Sunday. Are you here? Every single Sunday could change your life if you allow it to. Did you know that? Every Sunday. Every day could change your life if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Every day can be a life change. It could be the first day of the rest of your life. If you decide this is it, something is changing today. You don't have to wait till New Year's Day to have your New Year's Day in your soul. Today can be the day. So I want you to really, really clue in, tap into what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. We are not only finishing out the year, but we're finishing out our series that we've been in called Hope Has a Name. Um, and if there's ever been a time we've needed to be reminded where uh, our hope rests, it's now. Um, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I had a good Christmas. I had a wonderful Christmas with my family. And uh, I love Christmas. I tell you what, nothing can make me cynical about Christmas. I'm just somebody, I can, I can be tempted to be cynical about a lot of stuff in this day and age, but I never get cynical about Christmas. Not the commercialization of Christmas doesn't make me cynical about it. Uh, political events don't make me cynical about Christmas. What's going on in the world, violence happening around the world, coronavirus, none of it makes me cynical. It can't dampen my love of this season because I'll tell you what, the worse things look out there, the worst things look around us, it just made, makes what God did 2,000 years ago in that manger shine all the brighter. The darker it gets, it just shines all the brighter. I just cling to the crib and the cave, man. I am like, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming. The world needs you more now more than ever. Uh, God is, that, 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 just that moment of God breaking into history, his light shining into the darkness, of, which oh, is showing up in our world, that is hope worth believing in. And I have to admit, even now, you know, every age kind of thinks like they're extra special, every generation. And, you know, we can kind of look around things and go, man, doom and gloom and all this kind of stuff. This is as bad as it's ever gotten. Even now, as, you know, as bad as things might look in different sectors of society, 
we've been looking at a time, this prophecy out of Isaiah, and we've talked about what was going on then. The things Isaiah was facing, literally utter destruction. You know, the, the, the end of being was on the doorstep for the people of Judah uh, with the Assyrian Empire knocking on the door. And in this time, this black hole of despair that they were living in 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah prophesies these words that we've been looking at all December long. And uh, he, he says that the Messiah is coming. And he says this Messiah would one day come and bear four astonishing titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And today we are diving into this last one, prince of peace, prince of peace. What a promise this is, that the Messiah, the ruler of all, would also be the prince of peace. This is beautiful good news, and it is also kind of mind-boggling. We take it for granted, I know, because we're all, you know, if you're a Christian, you've kind of been raised in churchy world and stuff like that, you've heard Prince of Peace probably all your life. But this is a contradiction in terms. This is, this is a mind-boggling title to give someone. A ruler with authority, this ruler of peace. Now, in this world, that doesn't really make any sense. When you think about it, it doesn't make any sense because to keep your rule, to maintain authority and, and to protect the, the security of your people, if you're a ruler and you're protecting the security of your people, that requires force. It requires at least the threat of violence, right? You hit us, we're going to hit you. I mean, that's every nation of the world is built on that. There aren't any pa- pa- nations with a, 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 who have... Uh, a policy of pacifism. That would be really cool and Jesus-y, but they would last, what, like 17 minutes, right? If a nation said, you know, we're going to practice the uh, teachings of Jesus, and we're not going to repay violence with violence, the rest of the world would be like, great, thank you. And it'd take them, you know, a couple hours of fighting each other to over the spoils. Because it just doesn't compute. The only way to maintain peace in our world is with the threat of violence. It's a forced peace. But this messianic uh, peace is not the conquering of enemies. It's not the oppression of ideas that are dangerous or anything like that. It's the Hebrew, we've been talking about this, this Hebrew concept of shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom, Shalom. okay. Now, I'm guessing, you know, most of you in here have heard at least the last, one of the the last couple messages we've been teaching about shalom. So I'm not going to go all about into it, but shalom is it's different than anything we have. It's different than anything in our culture. It's different than anything in our language. It's the repairing and the healing of what was broken. It's wholeness. It's harmony. It's, it's freedom from what had you bound is, is what shalom is. And that's a piece we can't imagine coming from somebody in charge. Because somebody in charge probably got there through, you know, force and coercion. And they're probably maintaining their position through force and coercion. But this Prince of Peace is the Prince of Shalom. And here's something else. Jesus doesn't just bring peace. It's not just like something he keeps in his back pocket to use. He is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince who exists as peace. Shalom is part of his very character. It's not just something he practices. He is Shalom. And the reason he can, 
we can say that's true is because Jesus is God himself. Jesus is God. We've been talking about that too. He is God. He is the perfect representation of the Father, right? He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a really uh, clever self-help guru with the latest New York Times bestseller that you can go check out. Those, those might be great, but that's not Jesus. He is God. Now, like I said, we Christians today, we take that for granted, that Jesus is God. We know, you know, we know about the Trinity. I understand we can't wholly, fully understand the Trinity. Jesus, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all one, but they're three. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a mystery. It's wonderful. And centuries ago, when the Christian church was just developing in those first few centuries AD, um, that was still something they were trying to wrap their mind around. And there was a lot of teachings kind of floating around in that early church, try to try to explain what is this Jesus? Because they knew he wasn't just the normal everyday thing. What is Jesus? And a lot of different schools of thought kind of popped up here and there, a lot of arguments. There was one school of thought that said that would be like sacrilegious for, Jesus, for God to become a man. Like, really? That would be, that's too much. So Jesus was, he was really just a spirit. There was one teaching, it's called docetism. Um, he, and it was a heresy of the time, but it kind of was creeping out that Jesus just kind of floated around and acted like a man, kind of tricking us. You know, he was like, oh, look, I'm a man. I'm, oh no, I'm getting crucified. But really, he was, and he was just a spirit. So that was kind of a heresy that floated around. There was another one that was teaching that crept in the church that said, Jesus, well, he wasn't fully God. He wasn't the pre-existing God. He was created like the rest of us, and did such a good job that God made him God. Uh, yeah, and so there, there was that teaching that came around. It was known as Arianism. And this rumor became such a big deal floating around that maybe Jesus was, he was this, this created being like us and became God. Eventually, uh, just to kind of iron things out and decide once and for all, this is, this is what we believe, you know, what is Orthodox belief here? So they, they had a council the, called the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century AD, and they, all the bishops gathered together in this one place to kind of hammer out these issues, because there are all these little teachings floating around. And there was one, a man by the name of Arius, where Arianism came from. This man, he was a bishop, and he came, and he was presenting his theological views that Jesus was not born God, that uh, he became God. And so he's standing up and he's presenting his views, Arius is, in this big council chamber. And there was one bishop who got so angry listening to Arius present his views. He got so angry that he just, he stood up, he couldn't take it anymore. He got up, he went over to where Arius was presenting his speech, and he decked him in the face. That bishop's name was Saint Nicholas. True story. In the beginning, St. Nicholas's naughty or nice list wasn't about who gets toys or not, it was who was a heretic or not. That was the, the, the original St. Nicholas. Yeah, so he was so passionate about the fact that this figure, this baby that we see in Bethlehem is fully God and fully man. And that is what Orthodox belief is today of the Christian church, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's just, it's a, it's a wonderful mystery. But Jesus was always kind of turning the expectations upside down. We see that when he comes. He turns those expectations upside down of what is a Messiah. They were, they were trying to figure out how could you be the Messiah? Just like, you know, in the early church, we're trying to figure out how could you be both God and man? How could you be the Messiah? And when Isaiah prophesies those words, and the Messiah will be called the Prince of Peace, I guarantee even 
Isaiah is probably assuming this Messiah, this Christ that is going to come, would be somebody who would come with a sword and they would bring about peace, but first there's going to be a whole lot of violence to get there, right? That's just the assumption. That's what you do. That's what you do in, a, in normal earthling empires. You can bring about peace through violence. It's the only way understanding of getting there. Peace through violence. Peace by means of the opposite of peace. Even the Roman Empire had that as one of their slogans, right? With the bringers of peace. They declared themselves the bringers of peace, meaning they come into your village, kill everybody who disagrees with them, and then there's peace. That was their idea. But Jesus, who is God, God with us, God for us, has a whole different means to an end in mind. See, the means to the end is important with God. He doesn't just say, well, however we get there, it's fine, as long as we get to the end. No, 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 it matters. And so his peace means more than just creating a political stalemate where everybody agrees to stop fighting for a second, you know, or a ceasefire, or, or suppressing rebellious thoughts. You know, we're gonna, that's the way dictators do today to create peace in their lands. They suppress any rebellious little get-togethers. Jesus' peace is the kind that literally goes down right to the soul. It is peace inside us. And I think the peace that Jesus promises has less to do with an environment that we human beings, you know, try to manufacture by force. And it has everything to do with an environment that only God can create. This peace has less to do with the absence of conflict, which I know we long for, the absence of conflict, but it has less to do with that, or the absence of people who annoy us. It has everything to do with the presence of God in the middle of the conflict. Do you get that? The peace of God has to do with the presence of God, God with you, in the middle of the conflict. That'll change the peace that you're pursuing. That'll change your prayers. It really will. Ironically, it's kind of interesting that we, we're, we're talking about this during the Christmas season because for, the, for many people, Christians, non-Christians alike, the Christmas season can be even in a normal year. I mean, think back to like 2019, you know, normal year. <laughs> Christmas season is like one of the least peaceful times of the year, isn't it? Right? I mean, we, we get together with family that we only see once or twice a year, we get together with them on occasion, and then we remember why we only purposefully get together with them once or twice a year, right? Because of everything that happens. We got to buy presents. We've got meals to cook. We've got kids to deal with who are opening their presents, and it's, you know, and at, they're opening their presents, and they need thousands and thousands of batteries to make these presents all work, right? And nowadays, they're asking for my phone so they can log in and create an account, a, you know, a username and a password, and I have to download the app so that their toy will work. And I'm like, this is why I bought you the toy, so you wouldn't use my phone, but now they need my phone to play with the toy. It's nuts. And then we've got to, like, get all this stuff together, clean up the paper because people are coming over, or clean up, clean up all this. Stop playing with your toys because brush your teeth because we got to go somewhere else for dinner or something like this. Oh, I got to get the turkey in the oven I forgot about. We got to make all these sides, right? This is, this is Christmas. And that's why I love, in the middle of this Christmas story, this passage, it gives us a glimpse of, of shalom in the midst of utter chaos happening all around. Mary and Joseph have just made a hundred-mile journey, at least. They've gotten turned away from all the hotel rooms. 
she just gave birth in a barn with animals. There are angels singing. There's dirty shepherds coming in and out. Uh, There's no privacy. Uh, There's utter chaos. And it says in Luke chapter 2, Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now, if there's anybody who should not have been at peace 2,000 years ago on that very first Christmas, it should have been Mary, right? She gets the news that she is going to be this pregnant, unwed teenager, and by the time she has the baby, she's now a mother who's given birth far from home, away from her mother or her sisters or anybody who could help her out. Not only that, but she's a slave in her own country. They're oppressed by the Roman Empire. She has no education, no prospects. She's homeless in a barn. (laughs) Can we get any more desperate than that right there? And I know the women in my life, if if my mom or my wife had been married, they'd be like cleaning up the barn because there's people coming over, right? There's all these people. Who are these shepherds coming in? We got to clean up. We got to make something to eat. There's kings coming. My goodness. But Mary just sits in peace pondering the events that were going on around her. And she experienced this shalom. And I would say that the the peace that Jesus brings us has a lot less to do with the state of affairs of the world that we live in and everything to do with the state of being that we rest in. That's what shalom is about. You might say it's not about what's, what's happening around you. It's who you're becoming inside you, who you're becoming inside you. Now, there's, there's two kinds of peace I want to look at this morning, two areas of peace that Jesus provides for us. And uh, this was really inspired by something Melissa taught uh, last year, her series, Peace and the Peacemaker. I think it was over, it was like a year and a half ago. It was a really good series. You guys need to go back and check that out. But I was listening to that this week. And, and so this was inspiring some of that. So number, I want to dive into the first one. The first one is that we're discovering having peace with God, having peace with God. We talked a little bit about this on the Christmas Eve service. Um, and I think part of the peace that Jesus has promised is that we as individuals can have peace with God. We see this in Acts chapter 10 when Peter Uh, says to the Gentile Cornelius, he says, I'm sure you've heard about the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. Through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. You can have peace with God. The Apostle Paul fleshes this out a little more theologically in Romans chapter 5. He says this, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He goes on to say in verse 9, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God, friends of God. How beautiful is that? What Paul is is saying here in the book of Acts is that Jesus came so that we could first and foremost 
experience peace with God. We're not God's enemies. That's good news. God loves us. God is for us. He wants the best for us. Jesus reconciled us to God, revealing once and for all that God doesn't hate us. He's loved. He loves us and he's always loved us. He has always loved us. He didn't have to be talked into loving you. Jesus came to demonstrate that love and make it official, that we can live at that, in that peace between us and God. You know, if you're at a place, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching or you're listening to the podcast, if you're at a place where you feel far from God, or you just haven't been able to ever surrender yourself to that, that love that Jesus is providing, that peace that he's providing, right standing with God himself, perfect love, adoption into the family. And I pray you would accept his peace, accept that peace. Because until you've made peace with God, I tell you what, every other kind of peace in the world, will, you'll, you'll find it is elusive. It is, it is impossible to come by. It's unrealistic. God wants to make peace with you right now, right here. And all it means, all it takes is, is just believing in him. It's trusting in him, even when it seems kind of scary, kind of crazy to do so. And listen, this is a message. It's not just for non-Christians. Because I'm looking around the room, and I'm seeing most of us in this room or probably consider ourselves Christians. This is for all of us. This is a message that is even for the, you know, the super religious, you uber Christians out there, right? The, a lot of us have been raised in the church, and we think of ourselves as, we, we think ourselves as Christ followers, but we still might have this idea in the back of our minds, somehow along the way it got planted in there, that God is not for you, that God is not with you, that you're not really at peace with God. He's just sort of tolerating you because Jesus told him he had to, right? Or maybe we, we kind of believe in the back of our minds that we're, we're okay as long as you're good, as long as you keep it tight, right? But buddy, you are one mistake away from being out of here. Some of us have that in the back of our minds. Like God's like, all right, but I got my eye on you, right? Rick, you better keep it together or, you know, we have that, that feeling one mistake away. I think of one of my favorite, favorite movies, Princess Bride, the line where he says, the, the, the guy who, who is on the ship with the Dread Pirate Roberts, and he says every night, the Dread Pirate Roberts tells him, good job today, rest well, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> Living under that kind of stress. Some of us live in that kind of stress, like all the time, spiritually. Like God is going, I tolerate you today, rest well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. You know what I think too? If I can just have a little aside here. I think that creates, it's not just what it does to you emotionally, and it's not just a, affects your belief or what you're walking around with, but it affects who you are. If you walk around with that in the back of your mind, if that is just something, somehow that got planted in you, that God's not really with us, I'm one mistake away from being out the door I can really see just in, in my, my years of experiencing people, 
it can affect us in a couple of different ways. And really, there's kind of like two. They seem very opposite ways. But the first way it can affect is it can make you very judgmental of other people. It can make you really judgy. A lot of judgy people, you know, and sometimes it's us, a lot of those people, it's because deep down inside, they feel like they're one mistake away from being out the door. And so they assume you're one mistake from being out the door, right? So that can affect us. That can make us really kind of judgy and condemning and that kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I hate that when I see it in myself sometimes. I see, you know, I get that inclination. I'm like, man, where did that come from? Why am I being so, so judgy? Why do I feel this? And I'm realizing it's that old, that old feeling. God's not really for me. He's tolerating me. And I assume he's being that way towards everybody. And the other way that can make you do is it can also kind of work the opposite way, depending on your, you know, nurture and nature and DNA and how you're wired. It can make you kind of fatalistic. It can kind of make you to where you resent being around people who are doing it right, who are around, being around those do-gooders out there, right? Because you're always measuring yourself up. You're always measuring yourself to how good those people, man, those people seem to have it all together. They're always doing good things. I don't even like to be around. You know, it can make you that way. This idea that God is not really for you. He's your one mistake away. So that is something, I don't know, that's just something I feel like might be for somebody. Some of you, some of you long ago, Maybe you made, you made peace with God through salvation, and you just need to be reminded. You need to be reminded of the joy and the peace that we experience when we give our lives to Christ, when we accept the sacrifice He does for us, when we get adopted into the family, adopted into the family. I've told this story before. Melissa and I got to experience the joy of adoption with our daughter, and um, it's funny. The, the laws in our state protect the adopted child more than a biological child. Like, I could get really mad at my kids, my, my biological kids, and say, like, you're out of the will. You know I'm not allowed to legally with my adopted child? She's never out of the will. She is mine forever and ever and ever, and there's nothing that can change that. Do you know we are, in gra- we are grafted into, I just, and when I learned that, when we were going through the process, I thought, oh, God, I can see so many amazing parallels here. He has, ad- he has grafted us in. And there is nothing that's going to change his love for you. There's nothing. You're not one step away from being out the door. Oh, he's going to chase you down. Right? If you run, he's coming after you. That's the God who is the Prince of Peace. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Hallelujah. Well, wow. <sighs> All right, the second kind of peace. All right, so there's peace with God. The second kind of peace I believe Jesus brings us, it flows from the first, and that is the peace of God. The peace of God. And this flows from understanding that you're at peace with God. Understand, they kind of have to work together. You're at peace with God, and now you experience the peace of God. And this is the peace that just saturates our lives. It saturates whatever's going on around us, right? Whatever animals are in the barn with us and the, the dirty shepherds coming in to say hi, want to hold the baby, we have the peace of God. Jesus says this in uh, the book of John, chapter 14, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. You can't get this from the world. You can't get this from a pill. You can't get this from self-help gurus. This is a different kind of peace. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
Three times after the resurrection, Jesus greets his disciples with the phrase, peace be with you. Peace be with you. This is important. This is important for Jesus. And so it should be important for us. He wants to bring them peace. He wants us to have peace. It's a peace that we experience internally between God and us. And then there's this peace that we can experience in our everyday lives as God's presence just saturates the world we live in. Whatever hardship we're going through, whatever pain we're going through, his peace can be with us and we can experience the peace of God. How can we experience this kind of peace? A couple of, couple of things I want to point out. Uh, these are just some, some good steps for you to take. The first way is to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. That sounds kind of religious-y and mumbo-jumbo. Let me explain here. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is tied to this idea of peace. He's tied to this idea of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Peace. You know, when you send a, we got lots of pretty Christmas cards this year, and some of them had peace at the top, and what do they always have above the peace? It's like a dove. It represents the Holy Spirit, because He's the Spirit of Peace. The Holy Spirit, as He fills us, He brings us peace. And again, how do you how do you get that? It's really simple. You just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me today. Because this is, it's not just a one-time thing. I ask the Holy Spirit daily, fill me today. It's like having your sails filled in order to go. You're, you're like a boat in the ocean. Spirit, fill my sails. Fill me today. Propel me forward so that I can experience the peace that you bring. And and when he does that, when the Holy Spirit brings you peace, it brings you a whole new perspective. Again, this isn't just a thing that happens internally. It's between you and God. This affects you and the world around you. Romans chapter 8, it gives you a new perspective. Romans 8 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Abba Father, for His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. He speaks to us deep in our hearts. We get to be children of God. John Wesley, he's the founder of the Methodist Church. He, I love the way he said it. He said, I exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. We are no longer, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants and slaves. You're, you're children of God. I call you friends. We, get, we exchange the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. I, was here, I heard a story back in uh, the 1960s. John F. Kennedy was the youngest president who, who has ever been elected. And uh, it said that it was the first time anyone could remember there were children running around the White House because he was actually uh, young enough to be a, a dad of, of kids. John F. Kennedy was. And there were stories that the president would be in these high-level cabinet meetings in the Oval Office, high-level advisors all huddled in there, and little John Jr., John F. Kennedy's son would come running into the Oval Office in his bath, bathrobe and house shoes, and he would jump into his dad's lap right in the middle of the meeting. Because to little John Jr., he wasn't President Kennedy. He was dad. He was daddy. He enjoyed a relationship with his father that was unknown to anyone else in government. It was unknown to anybody else in that room, even the, the, the closest, closest advisors we're not advised to jump in John F. Kennedy's lap. <laughs> and when we realize that we are not slaves, we're not servants, but we are 
We're not just people who are here for no reason. God doesn't just save us and say, hang out and wait for me. We are God's own children. God's own children. We've been adopted into his, his family. It changes our perspective. And it begins to build inside us a peace that we can walk in. I'm telling you what, when you get a realization of this, you might think, well, this would make you sort of live any way you want and not worry about like doing good or bad. No, when you realize how much God loves you, when you realize who he is and what he sees you as, his son, his daughter, when he looks at you and he says, that's my girl, that's my boy, oh, it makes you want to please him. It makes you want to love him. It makes you want to serve him and worship him. And it makes you just want to walk in his ways. It does. It makes you want to wake up in the morning and go, God, what are you up to today? I want to I do it with you. Let me do it with you today. Just bring those opportunities along my path. It does something. So being filled with the Spirit is important to having this kind of peace. Second step I would suggest for us, especially now as we, this, as we get closer to the end of the year here, to experience this kind of peace, start thanking God for who He is and what He's done for you. Be a person of thanksgiving. Peace is a, this is not only a spiritual principle, but this has been shown psychologically. Peace is a direct byproduct of being a thankful person. It's a direct byproduct over in Philippians. We get to, it's the end of the year, I get to read my very favorite scripture in the whole Bible right here. Don't worry about anything, Philippians 4 says. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. This is out of the New Living. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. And that's something, there's that juxtaposition of, of terms again. Peace in a defensive posture around your heart and your mind. His peace. So we're told to pray, but praying shouldn't be our fallback position. How often are you, okay, be honest, is anyone like me? And like you go through a problem and like you, you realize maybe hours later, days, I don't know how long, that you, you've forgotten to pray about it. And you're going through this and you're suffering through it. Mellow us, that's the first thing she'll say. I'll be like, man, I'm just going through this thing. I'm going, whatever it is, this issue, I'm trying to figure out. She'll say, have you prayed? And I'm always like, of course I've prayed. Okay, sorry, God, I need to pray. You know, and then I go in the other room and I pray, right? It shouldn't be our fallback position, our last resort. It should be what we do as a regular element in our journey with Christ. It should be our breath in and out should be praying, right? That is yeah, it should be our prayer life. Our daily journey with Jesus should just be one of prayer. So I would encourage you over the next few days as we approach this new year, write down what you're asking God for and thank Him for the things that He has done in your life. Thank Him for the ways He has sustained you, for the ways that He has not given up on you, that He has sat beside you, walked beside you, flowed through you, even through some of the most gruesome things that we've had to experience this year. Thank him for not abandoning you, for being with you. And when you develop a thankful heart, it, it requires a humility, it requires a crucifixion of sorts. When you develop that thankful heart, though, I'm telling you, a heart of gratitude, you find peace consuming your life.
And then, friends, here's why all of this is even more crucial. I told you there were two things, um, but I was a little sneaky. There's a third thing. This is why this is more crucial than we ever realized, because embracing the fact that you are now at peace with God, which enables you to live in the peace of God, empowers you to demonstrate His peace toward others. You had to know where we're going here. Demonstrating peace toward others, because it's not just about you and God. You're not an island in this world, right? You're part of the body. God not only wants to bring peace to you, He wants to bring peace through you. You get to be an instrument of peace. This is the coolest news of all. An instrument of peace. Some of you are like, man, I can't even get there yet, right? I'm, I'm so stressed out. I'm, right now, I'm just trying to get that part about being, getting the peace of God for me. I get it. I get it. So, you know, it will take baby steps to get there. But here's, here's where we're headed. Know this. This is the goal. The peace of God, it doesn't just stop with you. His goal is to make you an instrument of peace to the rest of the world. Psalm 34 says this, work hard at living in peace with others. Work hard. The NIV says, seek peace and pursue it. I like these verbs here. Work hard at peace. It's not a passive thing. Peace is not passive. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. Pursue it. John 16 Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. And what does he say right after that? In this world, you're going to have trouble. Wait a minute, Jesus, you just told me I was going to have peace. And then he says, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So now we kind of see, okay, now I'm starting to see. Jesus' peace is not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of annoying people. He's going to give me peace. In the midst of it all, he's going to make me an instrument of peace. The peace of Christ is not just a peace for you. He wants to demonstrate it through you. Every one of us have a circle of people that we live around. It might be people, you might spend most of your time with people at work. It might, your lifestyle might be people of your family. It might be friends. It might be people of church. Whatever is the circle of people. There are people that you live with and work with whose lives are broken. Every, every single one of us knows someone or are someone who is experiencing brokenness right now at the end of 2020. You have loved ones whose dreams have been shattered this year. We know people who have lost people. We have lost dear people this year. You have neighbors who've gone through tragedy and they're trying to pick up the broken pieces of their life. You, you live in a country. If nothing else, you live in a country that's broken by division, caused by fear and hatred and suspicion. This is the air we breathe around us. So as we bid farewell to 2020, good riddance to 2020, and we step into this unknown that is 2021, Decide with me to let the Prince of Peace be the Lord of your life. Let the Prince of Peace be Lord of your life. Celebrate that you are truly at peace with God 
Experience for yourself the peace of God by being daily filled with the Spirit and becoming a person of habitual gratitude. And then allow that peace to overflow toward other people. Reject your old mind's tendency. We all have that old mind going on in there. Reject that tendency that we have toward other people, that tendency to to fight, to argue, to win, to seek vengeance. Reject that. Walk in peace. Walk in peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, we love you. God, we thank you. We thank you, God. You have not abandoned us. You have loved us. You have sustained us. You've seen us at our best and our worst this year, Lord. We admit that. And you're still here. You're still our Father. Prince of Peace. Inhabit our lives today. Help us to see the beauty of what you've called us to do, Lord. The privilege that you've called us to in partnering with you to be instruments of peace. And for those of you, Lord God, who are not quite at that step, who just can't wrap their mind around that, I thank you, Lord God, that you are being their peace. That you're leading this. You're leading us ever ever gently forward into that lifestyle of peace. Open our eyes to the beautiful Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a, anything that we can pray for you about, make sure you send us your prayer request. These things really matter to us. Send us your prayer request. Uh, we, we, we love knowing about your prayer request, and we send it to our prayer team, and we pray for it, and it makes a difference. There's different ways you can send it to us online or through the app. You can also write it on a piece of paper and put it in the offering buckets around the church. We'll get it that way, too. If you would like one-on-one prayer today, I'm going to be down forward here, and I would love to pray with you. If you want someone just to stand with you in faith in person to pray with you about something, if you've never met Jesus before and you want to like take that first step with him and put your trust in Jesus, that would be the best thing you've ever done. Come down and let me pray with you about that. Um, if you're giving your tithes and your offerings today, uh, just a reminder, this is the last Sunday of the year, so you know there's all that tax stuff that's sort of uh, beneficial. Beneficial. You might want to get that in here before New Year's Eve, and, uh, but you can give online. You can do it on the app. You can also, there's offering buckets here at the end of the stage and out in the foyers there you can give. If you're watching us online right now, you can go right to the website and give that way. And uh, thank you so much for all you have done and the blessing you have been. You know, this year, uh, we're going to get some figures, facts and figures together, how much money you have given this year towards people in our community and in our church who have really suffered through this coronavirus and the shutdowns and everything like that. So thank you so much for being such a blessing uh, to this tribe and to our community and to the world. You guys hit way above your weight. So thank you so much. Uh, this, this church is, is being a wonderful blessing uh, and honoring God in that. Amen? Amen. Can you stand and let me bless you one more time in 2020? My friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance to you and grant you peace in this new year. Grace and peace, my friends. Go be kingdom people this week. Bye-bye.